You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, what is up? Nothing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's work and then nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I heard you watched uh, some of The Last of Us. Okay, I'm on episode one. I have a lot. Episode, I'm on episode one, so you haven't started. Yeah, I'm on episode one. Like, watched episode one. And I. Oh, you watched episode yeah, one? Yeah, just okay. one episode. Okay. Just one episode. Um, everyone keeps telling me that episode three is really going to be emotional. So I'm just, yeah. we're just taking it day by well, day. Episode one's pretty emotional. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's just, I'm just like, I don't know what's going on right now. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's just because Twitter, everyone was talking about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this show a chance right now because I feel like we're finally in TV watching mode. I really get into it from February to the summertime. You want to find that good show on Hulu, HBO Max. And I'm like, you know, what? we'll give this, we'll give this a try. The other times there's too much going on during, during football season. That sounds really sad that I don't watch TV during football season, but that's pretty I still, much. I still manage to watch some, um, but I love the last of us, but I played the, uh, it's based on a video game. Yeah. That's I, what I'm hearing. I played that. And so I'm never lost in the show. Although I will say episode three just threw me for a loop though. Cause it's not in the game. It's, it's an, it's like its own thing. And it's, it's great. I loved yeah. it. I, I really like the show though, but I can understand how somebody could be a little bit lost. <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm beginning it. I'm beginning it. So why is George Bush the president? <laughs> it's going to take me. It's going to take me, I have, we'll probably get to episode three by the weekend. So I will okay. have a full recap. Um, and you never know. If there's not a whole lot of Bengals news going on. I might have to talk about it just a little bit. Uh, but right now there is Bengals news. We are so pumped about this news. And we've talked about it plenty, I think pretty much the whole entire regular season, leading up to the off season, to where we're at now, the episode on Monday that Lou Anarumo was going to interview for the Cardinals. It was 50-50. It was going to be him or they were going to go Gannon. And after they waited after that second interview via Zoom with Lou Anarumo, and you never heard the Eagles defensive coordinator as someone that they were eyeing big time. I think some of the insiders started to put out some information over the last few days prior to that interview, and it kind of felt like, okay, all right, well, maybe there is another guy outside of Mike Kafka. And the longer it went on Monday and then you get into early Tuesday, I thought, okay, if this guy's still in town, I'll be surprised if he leaves without a deal. And Luana Rumo's coming back to Cincinnati. Pumped for the Bengals. Kind of sad for him because he's 57, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think he should have gotten the job, but I have been – saying the entire year that it's really an uphill battle for him um, and Callahan a little bit too, although Callahan isn't as looked down upon because he is the young offensive mind. He just doesn't call plays with Lou Anarumo. He's just, he's older and defensive and what the NFL wants is the exact opposite young offense. They want those brains in there as their head coach. And the Cardinals are one of the teams that look like they actually want a defensive mind. And they end up going with one. Um, Kafka made it that far, but uh, a lot of the guys that interviewed Brian Flores was a candidate for the head coaching gig. It felt like they were actually valuing that after the Cliff Kingsbury experiment. Like, yeah, we did the young offensive mind. Let's let's get a defensive guy in here. I don't know. Like, I think it kind of stinks for him because how many more shots does he have realistically? Um, 
pretty soon the Bengals are just going to be shedding talent on the defensive side of the ball because they're going to be paying a lot of offensive guys. Maybe the draft picks work or whatever they do on that side of the ball. Maybe they can keep it going. Maybe that's how Lou gets a big gig is he shows that he can make this work even with even less talent. Although I think he's showing he can make it work with less talent than some of the guys that have gotten these jobs like the Eagles defensive coordinator. Just saying, give, Let's just give Louie Anarumo the Javon Hargrave and all these guys. Let's see, let's see how that goes. I think it might go well. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. He he had to work his – he had a really interesting history because he started coaching, I think it was after an injury in college, and he went back to his high school, and he starts coaching there, and he just works his way up. He works from high school to the low, like, D3 college in New York, and then he's – coaching at the Navy. He coached at Harvard. He finally gets a defensive coordinator position in a power five school at Purdue, um, then works his way to defensive back coach in Miami. And then finally he's a defensive coordinator for the Bengals. It took him till he was in his fifties to get there though, because he worked his way up from nothing pretty much. Whenever you look at a coach, a lot of times you'll see that both that they have a parent or both parents names are blue on Wikipedia. That's not true for Louie Anarumo. Um, you know, Sean McVay, his dad was in the ownership of the 49ers, I believe. Like, it, I don't know. A lot, a lot of these guys, it makes sense how easily they are in the NFL, how they got there when you look at parents or whatever type of relationships. Louis Aaron didn't really have that, so he's had to create everything from nothing. So by the time he's finally able to become a defensive coordinator, he's well into his 50s. And it reminds me of both uh, Dean Pease and Vic Fangio, who are both Ohio – or. Uh, Pease is an Ohio guy and Fangio is a Pennsylvania guy and they started coaching at high school and they worked their way all the way up. Dean Pease never became a head coach despite being defensive coordinator for those championship Patriots teams. And Vic Fangio, he only got to become a head coach after he did it twice. He was the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator when they made the Super Bowl and nobody hired him. And then he went and did it again in Chicago, didn't take him to the Super Bowl, had the best defense in the league and showed everybody how to stop Sean McVay. And then he finally got a shot at 61 years old. I don't know. It just reminds me of these guys and it kind of stinks. And every year that it goes longer, it becomes a little bit more likely he's more Dean Pease than he is Vic Fangio. And that just sucks because I think Louie really wants to be a head coach. So I think he should get this opportunity. But the NFL just doesn't really want his type of mind is his older defensive mind, even though he's innovative, he's not like an old, I'm still calling things how I called them in 2005. He's got one of the most innovative and multiple defenses out there. I don't know. That's my rant about this whole thing. I think it kind of stinks that because he didn't have an NFL connection growing up, he kind of gets looked down upon because he's older by the time he's able to be a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, knowing that decision was more than likely going to be made on Tuesday, I kind of felt like, look, you have to think of Lou as a human. Everything that he's done in Cincinnati, yeah. I remember the first year he was here, everybody wanted to run him out of town. And Lou was playing with a bunch of backup backups with that defense in 2019, his first year here. And he was like the seventh or eighth choice to be the defensive coordinator. And what he has been able to do, and I know, you know, I, I joked with you on, on Monday's podcast, is that a lot of the Eagles fans, they they want the hire to happen for Gannon. They want him out I know. of town. They and didn't care. No, they were like, that's Super Bowl. No, 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 no. We saw what happened. There was a lot of comparisons. What Lou Anarumo was able to do with less talent on the defensive side and what Gannon was able to do with his defense in Philly. And I four, agree. Four different times to the Chiefs, by the way, not just, you know, yeah. not just a one-off thing. Four times he slowed them down. He is probably the only coach that has consistently slowed down Andy Reid and this Chiefs offense, especially in the playoffs. I mean, that can't go underlooked. He also, he shut down the Bills. He yeah. slowed down the Rams and the Super Bowl. Like the guy, when it matters, is like, yeah, you guess you could point to like the Mike White game and things like that that just show up once in a while. But over the past two years, I don't know if there's anybody with as complete of a resume uh, when you combine the two. Like, yeah, that, the one that does, or the two guys that do, D'Amico Ryan's first head coach named <laughs> for, for the Texans, six year contract. 
the other guy, Dan Quinn, he doesn't care about being a head coach. He keeps telling people no. <laughs> so like the two guys that can compare because of what they've done the past two years combined, they both have their opportunities, but he doesn't have his <clears throat> because he'd be a first time older defensive minded head coach. I just, I don't think it's right. That's what Pete Carroll was. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and I was very I was selfish. I've said it so many times this off season and, and even during regular season, because I thought for sure the Bengals would lose one coordinator. It is insane to think about. They're going to go into year five with the same staff, pretty much the whole entire same staff. Um, I, well, of course, the offensive line coach look a little different for, for the better uh, than what Zach Taylor picked out the first time around. But hey, let's stuck with instead of taking Bill Callahan, he said no. We've got our guy. And then they fired him the next year. <laughs> that hurts. We did not need to remember that Bill Callahan was going to be here as the offensive line coach. That would have been amazing uh, to have him here. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. But at the same time, I agree with Lou. It's such a uh, – I think a lot of Bengals fans were like, okay – we're bummed that the off season is here, but this is a huge move because Louie and Arumo is coming back. And I, and I do think it's a big deal when you think about this defense, look, they're going to lose some of the free agents. You look at the defensive side, Jermaine Pratt, Jesse Bates, just to name a few to be determined on what they do in the safety position. If they find out um, that they can make a deal with, with Von Bell. And I think that's one of their biggest free agents of their own on the defensive side, but you need Louie and Arumo here because he gets the best out of this group. And I think of Dax Hill in his first full season and why that's going to be super important to have Lou on the other side and Lou actually even said um, earlier this year when when kind of asked about the cycle and um, what that's going to look like early in the offseason and he said uh, you know I told my wife hang around Joe Burrow for another year uh, that that isn't a bad thing and stay in Cincinnati and it was on social media um, I actually remember going to the Titans game and Zach Taylor's always there to greet the players when they come off the field but Lou Anaruma was the last one to leave the field and he was waiting for Joe Burrow to get done with his interview you see him at home games you see him during the Patriots game that uh, one of the NFL Network reporters tweeted that you know Lou's waiting for Joe and I just I like the connection of this team and I think you know you don't see that all the time with the defensive coordinator uh, just over there by the quarterback and just kind of the relationship that this team has and I think it's huge behind the scenes we've heard plenty of times that they say you know this is the most connected team that I've ever been around and I felt like I heard it more this past season than I've ever before even with you know Zach Taylor in his early years in Cincinnati yeah uh, every time he goes on something I feel like he ends up talking about Joe Burrow and uh, it's it's a very respectful relationship they are also obviously very competitive um maybe not in-season practices, but definitely in like preseason, off-season type things. It seems like Lou will throw some stuff at him and Joe Burrow will get him sometimes. And I don't know, just a fun back and forth. It, it does seem like they both have a lot of respect for each other, um, which obviously, I mean, they're on the same team, but you know, it seems like they really like each other, uh, which is cool. I, <clears throat> I don't know. Like, I think Brian Callahan eventually gets his shot because he's a young offensive mind and, even though he's not calling plays, I do think he's the most likely. I just, I just worry a little bit. I know Lou Anarumo has done such a good job despite the injuries. I just think at some point the talent level is going to drop off even more. And then when you are the 12th best defense instead of in the top 10, are people looking? Uh, even though you're out, you're out punching your weight class, so to speak, but you know, maybe you have the 20th best by talent on paper, but you've got them up at the 12th best. You're clearly a great defensive coordinator, but you're a defensive coordinator. So teams are going to want like the best of the best. And how do you measure that? Probably by like the top three and points allowed, and maybe they can't reach that. So I, I worry a little bit about his ability to get a defensive or a head coaching gig um, if he doesn't get it soon, because he'll, he's just getting older and eventually the, talent on the defensive side and the continuity is going to get worse. The good news for Lil, he does get another shot in regular season versus Patrick Mahomes so he can show the world again. Maybe week one. Do you think that'll be Thursday night opener? I don't. I, I know a lot of people think that's the Thursday night game. I actually think it's either the Eagles they make it the Eagles and the Chiefs. And I know it's kind of crazy to play it right after the Super Bowl and then make them the week one uh, Thursday night matchup. Or it's the Bills in Kansas City. I think you think the Bills could be the NFL opener two years in a row. Has that ever happened? 
I don't know if it's ever happened, but it would be on the road. I don't want anything to do with a ring ceremony. Get me out of Arrowhead for a ring ceremony. I don't want anything to do with that. I want my, I, they're going to have to go to Arrowhead eventually. What I think happens is, again, the behind the scenes of how the TV networks, all of that stuff, just not familiar with what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to securing the games. But I think CBS is allowed to secure certain games and that this game will still be a late December, the maybe the last January the first weekend of January game, like they've done the last couple of years, that last game was in December. So I think it's going to be the Tony Romo, Jim Nance game. Um, like it always is. And it's going to be more of a late season kind of playoff seeding, what that's all going to look like for Kansas city and Cincinnati. Look, this is a must-see matchup. The TV ratings are insane when these two teams play. Of course, it's Thursday night football, the regular season to open open NFL 2023. A lot of people are going to be watching that one. I don't think it's going to be Cincinnati. I think it could. I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me. It makes all the sense. It makes all the sense. I just, for some reason, I kind of just feel like they're like, look, you'll get a good matchup for Thursday night football. Maybe we have the Bills and and the Chiefs, or maybe it's a whole, maybe it's one of, it's the Chargers and the Chiefs. And Cincinnati gets put in with Kansas City for that primetime CVS window that is locked by the network. But will I be surprised? When they also want to lock in KC Buffalo. CBS probably has that one too. I don't know. But when I'm looking at it, I think I think it's definitely possible. I think it's definitely possible. To me, it's the most exciting because Andy Reid, probably the GOAT with um, time to prepare, he's going against the one guy that could slow him down. So I think that'd be very exciting. Yeah, the ring ceremony thing, uh, whatever. But to, I know, me, I know. This, I, I think it'd be cool. I think it, it is the rivalry to watch in the AFC. Yes. When you look across, like they, not too much love lost between those two. <laughs> uh, it seems like they are a little heated at each other. Uh, so you could play that up. You could play up that the Bengals have had their number, but this is the NFL champs. Like this has been, they've all been great games. I don't know. I could see it. I could also see Buffalo or Philly. I think those are the three we're looking at. Yeah. If you go with like Miami or something, I feel like it's a little bit of like, why, why'd you choose that one? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it, which is I, fine. I think it'd be a fun game, but it's just like I mean, you had these other options. Why did you go? Why did you go with one of those? Yeah, I, well, you know, it's just gonna be it's gonna be great. I love that they play Kansas City again in regular season, even though the most important one is one in the postseason. And I feel like you know these are two teams that are gonna see each other again in January. But I agree with you. I think Kansas City, if you look at their division, it almost feels like they don't really have big time rivals in the AFC West because they just dominate it and win it every year. And Cincinnati's it's very one. It's a very one way rivalry. I think, I think it's those teams all hate Kansas city with a burning passion and Kansas city just kind of goes like, we beat you again. Yeah, no, but with Cincinnati, I feel like it's a challenge. And I think that I can agree that the players, I don't think the players, you know, have too much love for each other. I think they respect each other, but when it comes to uh, the competition of, of, you know, Cincinnati's going to remember the AFC championship game and going into regular season, and maybe that Thursday night game would be good for Cincinnati, but um, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, think, uh, maybe I think it's just going to be a late December game, but we'll see. We'll see what it happens. has been like two times in a row now. So that's why I'm thinking maybe it changes, but also maybe it's, it's the same. I don't know anything. I just maybe. think, now I'm ready um, for football. Now I'm ready for football. And we're sitting here in February. When's the schedule come out? April or May? April, May. Yeah. That's a while away. A long time. We need free agency. Uh, but next we'll get to the mailbag questions on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is it's always game day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. Mm-hmm. 
We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. I'm Lindsay Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, going to the Twitter world, I will say that mailbag is definitely in off-season mode. I know a lot of people want to talk prospects and they want to, you know, just talk a little more about the draft, kind of next season. Not a whole lot of questions right now, but I'm going to go ahead and get to them. Again, you can follow along Bengals underscore Sands at LNDS Patterson. We will go ahead and start with the Wanderer. He says, what is the most surprising but realistic cap cut you could see the Bengals making? Um, uh, like, Mixon, mm-hmm. I guess. But how how surprising is that? Because I assume if you're asking, you might see that coming. I think that'd be surprising to the NFL, but I don't think it'd be surprising to people that follow the Bengals closely. Um, <clears throat> I think Collins is another one that could be a somewhat surprising cut. Uh, the really surprising one, but it's not – the Bengals don't really cut guys that are – doing fine just to save money type thing like Tyler Boyd's has a cuttable contract I don't see it happening like uh, to the realism side I'm like 0.1% chance (laughs) I don't know I I think Mixon I guess is the perfect candidate there I just don't think Bengals fans would be that surprised I think NFL people would it'd probably be a big reaction of like whoa what but uh inside Cincinnati it would be yeah we saw this could happen. I mean, fans were calling for it most of the season this past year, just kind of the way it was looking. And then you see what the price tag is this year and it really kicking in with that contract that I think there's going to be conversations that happen. If Joe Mixon does come back, I just don't see him coming back at that price uh, right now. And, and it'll be determined if Joe would rather go play somewhere else and maybe try and get that. I just think with a loaded drop class, free agent running backs that um, he might stick around just for a lower price point. I agree with the Tyler Boyd thing. Um, you know, I feel like that conversation was happening with a few people. And again, this is social media and they're bringing up names and Tyler Boyd is maybe a name. And I, I think they let them play, play this contract out. And, um, you know, who knows if he's able to resign a contract and come back to Cincinnati or they just move on from Tyler Boyd. But I still think it's important when you look at the wide receiver room going into the season. It was questions last year before the trade deadline when Jamar Chase was out for five games or for four games. What are you going to do? Who's your next receiver? You have T. Higgins, you have Tyler Boyd, and then Trent Irwin was able to step during that period of time. I still think that's something that you, you need to look at. And maybe it's not free agency or maybe later in the draft when it comes to weapons. So I don't see them moving on from Tyler Boyd and again it's so hard when we say surprising but maybe for the outside world it would be Joe Mixon all righty let's move on to River City Stripes he says what is the realistic what's the realistic view for Jackson Carmen is it right tackle I switching sides you never know I don't know to me the realistic view is backup left tackle um, but you usually want your backup tackle to play both sides. Can he actually push for right tackle? It's not out of the realm of possibility, but we've never seen him at right tackle. And even in college, he was never a right tackle. The most we've seen on the right side of the line was some right guard, and he was very bad at that. <laughs> but it was guard. So maybe it's different when he plays right tackle. I don't know. I think if he works on it a ton, it's within the realm of possibility that he pushes for the right tackle job. Right tackle is very interesting because I don't I don't think Lowell Collins is going to be ready to start the season. He could even be a surprise cut. Free agency, I could see them just grabbing a guy that's like you could play like if we need you to, the Xavier Suafilo of right tackles. Um and hopefully it would go a little bit better than that. Uh, or, you know, Riley Reef, they had that for the one year. Just like insurance. And then maybe they cut Collins and then you draft a rookie. He battles with the insurance. Whoever wins gets that job. But it's possible Carmen is in the in the mix. I don't know. I, I don't think it's at right tackle, though. What do you think? I'm still disappointed in the Jackson Carmen pick. To be completely honest with you, when you look at the offense alignment that were picked ahead of him and they're one, doing one one pick in front of the Bengals was uh right before the trade down was Landon Dickerson, my guy. And Creed Humphrey, when was he picked? Round three. 
So that's even more heartbreaking. Now, oh, Trey Smith was round six. Like they took Trey Hill over him. Oh, oh. it's just it's disappointing and I want to give the Bengals the benefit of a doubt and maybe they can get better at drafting offensive linemen but when I think of Jackson Carmen and what the overall picture was it wasn't even his rookie year that was disappointing it's still this year yes he was able to step up when the injuries happened on the offensive line I didn't think he was going to take a snap this year and he wouldn't if the if the offensive line would have stayed healthy but at the same time if your goal is to keep him or move him and develop him to tackle, I just don't know when that's going to happen. I'd love to be wrong and talk about this in September or October and Jackson Carmen is getting his shot out there, right? Tackle. I just don't see that happening. And I feel like that's just another pick that just didn't work out for them when it comes to the offensive line. Uh, we'll go over to Eric. Going back to the wide receivers and free agency, I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. Now that he's one year removed from his ACL surgery, is there any chance Odell is in play for us this year on a team-friendly deal? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm just asking the question. I know, but why would he be? Like, Make no. the case that why Odell would want to come be the fourth wide receiver or that the Bengals would sign him and – let him play over one of the top three wide receivers. Nobody signed him. I I know he had the fiasco with the plane and all. I don't know that much about it. I just know I think that was a big deal. Um, no, I, I just – I don't see it at all. <laughs> like, I think the Bengals might be interested in some wide receivers, but it's going to be low-end guys. It's not going to be Odell Beckham Jr. type. It's going to be um, – probably in the draft and like round six from a, it's a guy you've never heard of. Yeah. That's the thing you, what we're going to hear some of these wide receivers who maybe are wide receiver two or three on a team who are going to go into free agency that they don't get the deal that they want with the team they're currently on right now. And we're going to hear oh, Cincinnati should pick him up and Cincinnati should get this guy and they should do this. There's so much wrong with that because these free agent wide receivers are going to want to get bank and the Bengals aren't looking to go pay another wide receiver off the street when they're going to be paying Jamar Chase and T Higgins in their wide receiver room. Yes, that's still something that maybe in this draft you need to think of for 2024 if you get a late wide receiver or maybe another guy who isn't too expensive when it comes to free agency. But Odell Beckham does not, doesn't want to come to Cincinnati and be the third wide receiver. I know he's getting older and he's coming off an injury, but at the same time, he's going to go get the bag somewhere else and you know a team that is also going to probably make the postseason or a team that just came off a pretty good season you could say the bills the cowboys uh maybe he goes back to the giants it it's not it's not gonna be in cincinnati i know that there's lsu connections but there's lsu connections all over the nfl odell beckham wants to get paid and he wants to play and i'm not saying he wouldn't play if he was in cincinnati but he's not going to be the the third or fourth wide receiver and be okay with that when he could go somewhere else and maybe be the two um and and that goes with other guys that'll be like wide receiver two wide receiver three types Because just because they don't get the deal they want doesn't mean they'll come to Cincinnati to be the fourth wide receiver. Because if you don't get the deal you want, you probably do what DJ Shark did and you go try to be one of the top guys for a team like he did with Detroit. Now, did that pan out? I don't know. Not really. But, you know, like you don't go to Cincinnati to be the fourth wide receiver, never see the field other than injuries and what, 10% of snaps maybe. No, because you're not going to get a contract out of that. That's the thing. It's like, yes, there's a ring chasing element, but that would be for guys that are way over, <laughs> way over the hill, I think. It wouldn't be for a for an Odell type who I don't think is way over the hill. I think he's not as good as he was in his prime. But, you know, he wants to go somewhere. If he's signing a cheap deal, it's with, like, Buffalo makes a lot of sense because he's probably the second best wide receiver if he goes there. Him or Gabe Davis, and I think he could – compete and take that job and be the guy that's on the field with digs at all times. Because if he's catching balls from Josh Allen and he's on the field for 80% of snaps, he might be able to put up a thousand plus yards and go get the bag somewhere. If he can't do that right now, anyway, if he goes to Cincinnati, there's like no shot. He gets a thousand yards. Like how, even if he's the third wide receiver, you look at what Tyler Boyd's doing. He's not hitting a thousand yards. Wish he was, wish there were three 1000 yard receivers. It's a very big outlier to have three 1,000-year receivers on the same team. And it seems like Boyd hasn't been able to push that, even though he's a very good receiver. 
Yeah, I, I don't see that happening, but we are getting to the stage of the offseason when you are going to hear kind of the rumors who's coming back to what team. And since, and Bengals fans are going to be like, we sh- the Bengals should sign him and him and him and him, and he would be great. And that just that can't happen. Uh, but it happens all the time with some of these wide receivers who are going to be free agents. I'm sorry, it's not going to be a big name. Um, you do have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, but you know it is realistic to think that they are going to bring in more wide receiver depth, and they should. Uh, we'll move over to Dumbuski. Uh, he says, "What do you think? What do you think about the Bengals using more twelve personnel packages next season?" I gotta see whatever tight ends they have. Right now, it's just um, well, who is it? Yeah, right now it's just uh, uh, um, oh man, Blinken. He played Mitchell. This year. Yes, it is Mitchell Wilcox. That's the only tight end on the roster right now. So. Do you play 12 tight end with Mitchell Wilcox as your number one tight end? I'd hope they play less. <laughs> if they play less 11, get less tight ends on the field. Uh, yeah. I Like if you re-sign Hayden Hurst for cheap and you draft like Darnell Washington, yeah, go use more 12 personnel or Michael Mayer or one of these, you know, big draft tight ends. You want to get them on the field, but maybe you keep a Hayden Hurst on the field as well, just so that you have a you know, like a solid high end tight end. That's, you know, like not rookie tight ends struggle a little bit usually. And if you keep Hayden Hurst, that means you'll have a guy that, you know, can play at a pretty high level. And then you're going to use 12 personnel to get your other guy on the field. So he gets experience or maybe because they can add a different element like a uh, Darnell Washington. But when you're just talking about, just want to use more 12 personnel. Sure. I, but they have to have the guys. Maybe it's an Irv Smith type, and then you draft – like, if they draft a tight end round one, round two, yeah, I'd like to see more 12 personnel. If they don't do that, they get, like, a round four tight end, and it is Aiden Hurst? Not really. Like, maybe a little bit more, but I'm not going to be jonesing for 12 personnel to get Tyler Boyd off the field if it's a round four, day three tight end type. Yeah, and I'm kind of moving in. Every month it's going to change because uh, it's different when the team isn't picking in the top five. But I'm moving into the you got to go tight end at 28 right now. And Have to. Wow. I, I love it. I love it. If it, Here's the thing. And, it, and it, it probably won't happen, but we'll find out more when the combine happens and more of these conversations leading up to the NFL draft. But if Michael Mayer, here's why he's perfect for Cincinnati. He's from right across the river. They love these Cincinnati guys, Ohio guys. He comes in. Joe Burrow, one of his favorite quarterbacks. He even said it this past year at Notre Dame. I think that he could come in. I don't think he's going to be there at 28 because a lot of the mock drafts have him going by like 15 or 20. Mock drafts are lost at this point. I love doing lost? Well, yeah. Look, go look at somebody's mock draft from February last year. I mean, it probably had like just guys that I don't know. To me, they're lost. They're lost because it's like, I think the combine moves guys a lot. I think pro Mm -hmm. day moves guys a little bit. And I think scouts in the NFL haven't leaked enough info. I think that's a big part of this as well. I don't know. You just look, there's so many risers and fallers late in the draft cycle. I know the college season has played out, but to me, when I'm looking at it, even when you look look back at the draft last year, I feel like, George Karloftis is an example where he was like early on, he's like a top five pick and then, you know, more stuff. He doesn't blow up the combine as well as the other guys. Now he's like a top 10, 15 pick. He goes like 20 something <laughs> to the chiefs. You look at Linderbaum. I think people had him in like the top 10, top 10. And then there's a lot of Bengals. hope. there's a lot of Ooh, Cincinnati can get him. And he goes ahead of Cincinnati. He's not there. Just plenty of that type of stuff. Look at, uh, oh, man, there's another one. The left tackle that um, the Saints got. That guy went flying up draft boards. I'm trying to remember his name. He was, um, I think he went, he was some uh, FCS school. Blanket on the name. But he was beating people up in the senior bowl. He blows up the combine. And then he goes from, like, around three type guy into top half of the first round. So, I don't know. To me, the mock drafts are a little bit lost. Like, if Michael Mayer goes to the combine, he blows up. He's not following 28. If he stinks at the combine, it's possible he doesn't go in round one or two. <laughs> uh, if he plays, if he does okay at the combine, maybe he's there at 28. I don't know. <laughs> maybe there's another tight end that blows it up. Maybe maybe Darnell Washington, like 280 pounds, is more athletic at the combine. 
I don't know. Then he's probably going ahead of him. So I, I just look at all that. Jelani Woods is another example. I mm-hmm. saw, I know Bengals fans wanted him like in the first round, some of them, because he had a perfect RAS score and the combine and all this other stuff. He went like round three. I don't know. Like I, 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 a lot of, I don't knows in this, but to me, mock drafts are lost at this point. Like they're fun, but when I'm looking at them, they change so much. Like there's guys that I, I'm looking at. I'm like, I don't think he's good. Everybody's drafting Tajay Spears in round four. That usually means he's not going in round four. He's going to go round three, especially because he had a good senior bowl. And then he blows up the combine. Now he's like a late round two type. It's like, it's fun to get these guys where they are right now, but I think it just changes so much between the next two months. I'm going to pick my favorite mock draft and then we are going to compare it right now on this February 15th and to like the day before the draft to see what that looks like compared to pro days, the combine, all of the visits and, you know, the predictions that we heard right when the season ended to where we're at in April. So I do, I kind of actually want to see that because I think you, you do have a point. All of it's just talk right now. There are people who go back and watch tape. They're not always the ones who are going and putting these mock drafts together when it comes to some of these players in the top first two rounds. Um, but you, you haven't had a chance to watch Michael Mayer yet. Have you? No, um, I need more Notre Dame film. I looked at that and that's how I could find like two games. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to give a half report. Cause I think that's fair. You included. Yeah. A lot of people are interested. <laughs> okay. So you're going to be able to, we, we will have a segment dedicated. I know we've already <laughs> dedicated just to him. No, 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 not just that. We've already, we, we've talked about one tight end. But we will have a, like a partial segment to the breakdown of Michael Mayer because I think here's the thing. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Definitely biased. It's a Cincinnati guy. I feel like he'd be huge for this offense. And I think a lot of people before going into the season, when you talked about Michael Mayer, they'd be like, oh, he's not even going to be there if Cincinnati yep. winning and they're in the postseason. So I kind of want to see maybe it's the hype around it. Um, and I'm all about adding another weapon. And they like tight ends. They get their first round. Jermaine Gresham, you look at Tyler Eifert, they're not afraid to get a tight end with the first round pick so i maybe maybe there's just a little history of that too but we'll see yeah I, look i think a lot of Cincinnati is interesting i don't think you're alone in this i think a lot of people are very interested in this so that's why i'm like i, I want to be able to take you know, like a full five games cool. of michael Mayer to get the real experience in there i don't i don't want to i don't want to give a half report i want to i want to do the whole thing so I'm, I'm waiting a little bit. I'll try to do all the tight ends at once. I hear one of those guys is super fast. I wonder if he ends up drafting. Like, I think it's – I want to say it's Luke Musgrave from Oregon State at the Senior Bowl. He was, like, the fifth fastest player there, and he's, like, 250 pounds. I wonder if that just, like, fires him up the draft boards type thing. I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think you, you get to see once the combine happens, I think you get a better feel for who is going to go up and down draft boards, even though I think everybody universally agrees the combine doesn't always translate to the field. These guys are running around in their long johns. Yeah, <laughs> it's, such it's such a waste of time. I mean, I feel bad for It is, but it, it matters. Like whether or not we think it matters to the field directly, it matters for where teams draft these guys. I think it that's does? the big thing. I still remember what Orlando Brown. He was like a round one, round two guy. He went like the fifth round of the Ravens because he had one of the worst combines that they've seen. So I don't know. Lots going to change over the next few weeks, I think. Most of the writers that go just behind the scenes here, they just want to go to St. Elmo's and eat a steak and talk to other people I've and get some that, scoops. Yeah. And I've heard the combine for writers and um, other people. It's it's just networking. It is. 100%. <laughs> They're just going to get a good steak and talk to insiders and everything like that behind the scenes. So uh, we'll get to that. In, in a few weeks because it's right around the corner before uh, we get into all the free agency draft talk. But next, just a few more things when it comes to the 2023 Cincinnati Bengals on its always game day in Cincinnati. This is it's always game day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. We are talking all things Bengals. And you tweeted this out earlier. And I said, you know what? I want to talk about this. This is exactly what you said. 
even though the Bengals are a spread team who throws the ball 36 times a game, they're still running it 18 times a game. They've been able to run the ball for short yardage, four-minute drill, and take advantage of weaknesses of opposing defenses. A balanced offense in 2023, I feel like, is important. Talk about more of what you want to see from this team and what they have to do better at. Okay, um, so the run game was kind of fine. I think I think it had issues, but like when you look at all the advanced stats from week five on when the schematic change happened and they ran everything from shotgun, they changed from zone to gap power trap stuff. Uh, they were top three running offense by EPA per play, and they had a top three success rate because they were pretty much the best at just getting five yard gains, which is successful. That's great. And scoring some touchdowns off of that, uh, picking up first downs. They didn't have the explosive plays, but what, I, what I'm saying here is that even though the Bengals, they're throwing the heck out of the ball, right? Like they, they are one of the most pass heavy teams in the league. And that's why when I'm looking at tackles, I'm kind of looking at their pass protection a little bit more than I am their run blocking. I still think that the run game has value, even for the most pass-happy teams in the NFL. You look at some of the games the Bengals had this year. I think of, well, the Chiefs game's one of them in the regular season. Obviously, the Bills game where they ran the ball really well. But there were multiple times this season where the Bengals got the ball with, like, six minutes left in the entire game. They're up one score, and they just never gave it back. And they just... They ran the ball really effectively, had some short passes, and that's four-minute drill. It means you're taking your time. You want to use up as much of the clock as you can. Or sometimes they didn't even – they weren't even up a score. They were tied, and they were just able to win the game that way by just four-minute drill, run the ball, be very effective, efficient offense. Run game is very important for that. And it also adds up for – yeah, the, when you're talking about short yardage stuff, which – they were a little bit weird with short yardage. It felt like every second and one was like such a cool take a shot and they would quarterback sneak, which is such a conservative option there. But the run game was effective. Like one once just run the ball in that situation, um, which I actually don't know how effective they were in short yardage. I think that'd be interesting to look back on because some of the goal line stuff stunk. <laughs> I think of the Miami game, which was before the schematic change, but I remember the Miami game. It felt like they ran Joe Mixon into the wall, like every third and one and every goal line situation. And it did not work very often, but yeah, they, the run game's effective. It's important no matter how much of a pass happy team the Bengals are, because there's always going to be situations where it's necessary. And even though running backs seem devalued and they're, who cares? I think the thing that sparked this for me was seeing people basically say like, well, let's just, just go with Samaj P. Ryan at running back and nobody else type thing. It's like, well, hold on, <laughs> because that might be okay, but why wouldn't you want a better run game? Also, take hits off Joe Burrow. It makes life easier on the offensive line. There's just there's a lot of reasons that the run game is still important, even though they only run it 18 or so times a game and they throw in the ball 36 times, it's, you know, they're throwing the ball twice as much. So I get it. Was that 66-33 split? It's still important because of the situations and just to keep yourself ahead of the chains. You, everybody seems to hate when you get into second and 11, second and 10 even, and then into third and seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, third and longs. Those kind of suck as offensive linemen because the defense knows what's coming. You can't really fool them. They, they know this is a pass. So the run game still has importance. That's my whole point here. Even though the more valued and nobody, I feel like running backs making more than a million dollars are seen as domestic terrorists. Uh, I think that the run game is still important. And I think that there's value in the Bengals running back room because you look at, they had 444 touches or opportunities, not touches. I'm doing targets, not catches. 444 opportunities in all the running backs combined. That's so much. That's There are only 603 passing attempts. So when you're looking at how often they throw the ball to the running back, along with the reason that you have to be able to run the ball a little bit, I can see why a running back has some value for Cincinnati. But I don't think very many other people care. Well. 
not to go like to like live in the past of the AFC championship game, but there were times. And I mean, look, I love that Cincinnati's offense wanted to be aggressive and it felt like they couldn't run the ball, but how amazing it would have been in that situation when you throw it to Jamar Chase, you throw it to T Higgins, it ends up being a um, deflection for an interception. And all you needed was a few yards to get that first down. And you think of the end of that game, what what I thought was going to be the end of the game when Joe Burrow was going down the field, he hit Hayden Hurst for a third and 17. And I thought they were going to be able to control the clock, at least set up for a field goal, or maybe they go down and score a touchdown and um, Kansas city wasn't going to get another shot. When you have a run game, that's going to help you in that situation. I do like how they can take advantage of the clock, but you need that. Like you mentioned, it's going to protect Joe Burrow. Um, Look, we know what Joe Burrow can do and these wide receivers can do. And and you do throw to some of your wide receivers. We see that with this offense. Majay Pirine has been a weapon. Joe Mixon can be a weapon in that way. But at the same time, it's a little frustrating in a lot of situations when it it would have won them the football game this year um, if they were able to do that. And then the Bills game, I felt like, of course, the snow was nice, nice little addition uh, for the run game, what they were able to do. But at the same time, it's just it's a little frustrating because I feel like this offense has we, we haven't seen this offense's full potential yet. I feel that way. Maybe that's a hot take, but I feel like it can can be even better. Yeah, we haven't seen with a good offensive line and. Um, I thought the run game was pretty good, but the thing it's missing is that there were like no explosive plays. And to me, there's multiple reasons for that. I think the tight ends and the offensive line really um, didn't, wasn't the best. Like I thought they were okay at the first level, but then when it came to like blocking linebackers and giving these backs a free run at safeties didn't happen very often. Sometimes plays got completely blown up over this type of stuff, but also the running backs didn't really, make it happen either. So I think it's twofold there, whether you get better blocking for your tight ends and your offensive line at the second level, or you get a running back in there who runs faster than I don't think Mixon or P Ryan are extremely fast. <laughs> I think neither one is going to go for 40 yards that often. Um, and I think Mixon, he only had like three games with a gain over 20 yards and he's the more explosive of the two. So I think that's just something that's really missing. And there's just roles that go with the running back. And when you don't have a Saquon Barkley type in there that can basically do everything, well, he doesn't really pass protect. They just kind of work around that. But, you know, we don't have a guy that does everything. Now you start getting guys in different roles. The Chiefs, they've got Pacheco. That's He can get explosive plays. He can run the ball well. He doesn't do any of the receiving stuff. That's all McKinnon. And they bring McKinnon in for all the receiving work, and he still gets some open field type opportunities and the Eagles exact same way, you know, Miles Sanders is going to run the ball and then they've got Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott. that are going to do some of the other stuff. The Bengals, they've got guys, but they're a little samey, you know, if P Ryan and Mixon, they're a little different, but they're a little samey too. Like P Ryan can pass protect Mixon can't mixing is a little bit more explosive and probably a better runner um, than P Ryan. Neither one's explosive though. I think that's just something that they need to add. And that doesn't have to be in the first round. But when you're looking at running backs and what they might add, especially if they keep both those guys, you might be looking at a guy that can just break something open. And I know Chris Evans on paper, I think, fits this mold, but he hasn't done anything on the field. So it's really hard to say that, yeah, Chris Evans will be able to do that for you. Um, He didn't have – he had an okay preseason. I a lot of people point to the big plays that are called back for holding, but I think he also caused some of the holdings because he would like bounce the ball when that wasn't the right read. And then the tackles kind of like, what you're over here. And then they end up getting a holding call because they're holding on grabbing type thing. So uh, a lot to say, but uh, just basically to say, I think the running back position as a whole is still important to this Bengals team. Imagine a guy that you could dump the ball down to, and they gain 50 yards once or twice or three, four times in a season, like not on screens, just like you dumped it down and you just, he just makes guys miss and just keeps going. Like that's just something that's not in this Bengals offense. And when teams are selling out to stop the deep ball, this is one way that you can create those opportunities and still get your explosive plays. 
Yeah, I think there's some, you know, there's some additions in the running back room that I think we're going to find out more about in the next couple months. And I kind of want to get to this article, get to it pretty quickly. Paul Daner Jr. had an article about pretty much, look, they're no longer in the building of a roster stage. And that's good news when you have the talent from free agency to the NFL draft and being bad in those previous years helps you get your franchise quarterback pretty much. But they're in, in a unique situation. They haven't been in in, you know, in a couple years. You have to keep what you have, but how do you keep it all or most of it around you? Or is this one of those seasons where you have to go all in? If they don't go to the Super Bowl, you know, would you think that this is a a bust of a season in 2023? Um, I mean, if they're fully healthy, maybe. But I, I think if you can win a few playoff games, you get to where they were this year. I can't consider that really a bust of a season personally it it would kind of stink though because you are kind of reaching the end of that wide open window and then you just get the open window because you know you still have the elite quarterback and the wide receivers but right now it's an it's, it's such an open window because you have one of the best rosters to go with your elite quarterback and these wide receivers and everything so i wouldn't consider it a bust if they don't make the super bowl but i feel like that should be the expectation Falling short of expectations isn't really a bust season to me. A bust season would be like losing in the first round of the playoffs. Like almost happened in Cincinnati this year, which is crazy. Yes. It's crazy. I, I truly think this. Look, all credit to the Chiefs because they they won the Super Bowl. Um, they can talk all they all they want because they won. But at the end of the day, man, Cincinnati had the hardest road to get there, if you think about it. Everything man, that they should have beat Mitch Trubisky and Cooper Rush. They should have, they should have, but I'm talking more in the playoffs had the hardest road, they would have had the hardest road. I mean, you you go play a division rival back-to-back weeks um, and you win that one in crazy fashion at home. You move on to Buffalo. You just dominate that game on the road in a snowstorm. And then you go to Kansas City and play one of your worst games of the season. And um, it just felt like their their run in the postseason, I felt like they had the more difficult ride. They did. They, they definitely did. My thought is just – doesn't matter because you didn't beat Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, you beat Mitch Trubisky and you're in that situation. Like you're right. in that spot where you could have it's probably it a neutral field um, because of the whole Buffalo thing. But just throw that out there and say what everybody thinks happened anyway. And the Bengals won. I mean, I guess if you look at the divisional round, they probably <laughs> they probably had a good shot. Uh, but yeah, let's say they beat Buffalo in that game. That's just unfortunate with that, that whole thing. But they still wouldn't have been the one seed. They still would have had to do not the same exact road, but a similar road. Yeah. Um, not the Ravens. I think you would have gotten away with a easier wild card game, but they still got to play Buffalo and maybe you're at home this time. So this is easier, but you still got to go to Kansas city. If you, you beat Kansas city in the regular season. So if you just beat Mitch Trubisky in round one, <laughs> week one, and then could beat Cooper rush week two, and then you're, you've got this awesome, three loss team that ties Kansas city's record, but you beat them. Now you're hosting the AFC championship game. Okay, never mind. Let's so. not relive this. One. <laughs> All I'm saying is start hot, start hot next year. Don't yeah. do this to me. <laughs> Don't blow games. You shouldn't blow because these are the games that Kansas city never loses. They get close. Yeah, I can remember the Texans game going to overtime, but they don't lose these games. They lose to good teams like the Bengals and the Bills. They don't really lose to the Texans or ever in their division, well, it seems like. That uh, Kansas City Texans game and Broncos game towards the end of the season. They were oh, close, but they pulled them out. But they pulled it out. That's all that matters. Nobody cares um, the style points at the end. But at the same time, you know, you bring up a great point. It's so crazy because I feel like, 2022 was was one of my favorite seasons. I know the year before they went to the Super Bowl, and that's great. Well, when it comes to talent, they lost four games, and it was such an emotional roller coaster of a year because you start the team started out zero and two, and then they found a way to go on that ten game win streak, or you know that that one. I feel like they had the one bad loss, and that's outside of Mitch Trubisky because I feel like the bad loss was to Cleveland. They still should have beaten Mitch Trubisky. The they whole long snapper injury mm-hmm. messed with them. Yeah, I, I mean, like the real issue is the Browns just spanked them on Halloween. Like that, that one kind of stinks. But that's why I'm not throwing it out there as like, yeah, yeah just beat the Browns because they got dominated. <laughs> it, it's not like a just beat because Mitch Trubisky is like, just make the extra point anyway. Just make them we'll turn goal. the ball over four times. Don't we'll turn the ball over four times in the first half. 
or whatever it was. I can't believe that all happened. That game felt like it was two days long with all the emotional stuff that happened in the first half. There was so much excitement too. It was like, oh yeah, these Bengals were into the Super Bowl. They're better than ever. And then the game happens and it's like, ah, this is my worst nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I agree. But but I'll actually get to this point really quickly because we do need to wrap up. But the whole point of, you know, the conversation is if you're Cincinnati, it's, I don't think it's like a Los Angeles Rams situation from two years ago, but it's more of a, Yes, it is important to go all in and sign the key guys that you can bring back. You can't bring them all back. Jermaine Pratt, Jesse Bates, uh, look, maybe one or two of them can can come back, but more than likely they're going to be without those two defensive players on that end. Um, You have to draft well. I think it's more about drafting well. It's not going to be crazy in free agency, but do you think that this team could still – we've already talked about maybe that big splash on the defensive side, but is it more of a go all in this season? Or is it just like, okay, look, this is your picture. If it was me, I'd push the chips in. I'd go all in. And I guess if it was me, it would be a little bit of disappointment to not go to the Super Bowl because I would be trying to sign Javon Hargrave, probably Melvin Ingram, and just bringing in all this talent and just being like, we have one of the best rosters. Let's just make sure we have the best roster type situation. Uh, Maybe I'd look at bringing in an offensive lineman too uh, through free agency and not just – the cheapest option that might be able to play a little bit, you know, just, I would probably push the chips in and make this, make a big push and it would stink for the years to come. Probably the, the, the make the big push for the next two, three years. And then you probably have to rebuild a little bit and you're still going to compete. So that puts you in that weird place where your quarterback and the offense is still going to make you competitive but you're still going to need to rebuild a tiny bit. And hopefully that looks a little bit more like when the Patriots would do it than it would when the Saints had to do it or they went seven and nine every year. Um, but yeah, I, I would push the chips in and I would try to make a push because to me, I think some people might have bigger aspirations to me, win one Super Bowl, make, make Agree. win the one Super Bowl. Like I don't, I don't think you need to be able to slightly compete and have a shot at the next 10 Super Bowls if you could just win one of the next two. I think that is the ultimate goal. And if you put yourself in a better position to win one of those next two Super Bowls, where I think this window is the most open, let's just grab a crowbar and let's crank it open even more with the <laughs> with the signings, you know, like, like a Javon Hargrave or something like that. That's my move, though. And I don't think the Bengals agree. I think the Bengals are going to do the opposite they're going to try to be competitive for the next 10 years and that's fine that that makes a lot of sense i would just rather be the saints where they won that super bowl and they they didn't do much for the next like five years after they're going seven and a lot and seven and nine a whole lot and they had a bad defense and they had all these other issues but they won that super bowl then i would want to be trying trying to look like i'm trying to think of like a good compromise. I guess like those mid 2000s Eagles that always went to the championship game, they made one Super Bowl but lost it. I'd rather be the Saints and just make it and win one win the Super Bowl than I would the Eagles and uh around that same time period although it was a little bit different time period. I think so I I partially agree with you. I think winning that one is going to be huge and it and it is PTSD from watching the Super Bowl this past year to know that Cincinnati was in a very similar situation last year um versus the Los Angeles Rams to win that Super Bowl and they had the opportunities they just couldn't pull it off. So I agree. I think when you get that one Lombardi cuz they they have they don't, no championships in Cincinnati. Zero rings. We hear it uh, all the time with Cincinnati Bengals. But getting that one Super Bowl, I just feel like, and Joe's Joe's just a different breed. I mean, he's just a different dude out there. And that's why I'm glad he's the franchise quarterback. But I feel like that's when, you know, you can still build this. You still have the talent. You still have really talented pieces in your offense. If you bring TA against Jamar Chase, it doesn't have to be the whole roster, but just those key guys you're building around. And I think that's extremely important. But that one Super Bowl will change everything. I do. I truly believe that for the future and not to say that they're going to settle at one because they're going to want more than that, but just get one, just get one right now. And, uh, and then the future should remain bright in Cincinnati, but you know, we have a lot of off season to talk about plenty of draft tape that, that's going to be over on your Twitter Bengals underscore Sands, all Bengals. You're going to have some prospect breakdowns. Uh, man, I'm kind of like working my brain of how I want to do this because I watched like every running back and now I'm like, 
do I write individual reports or should I just make like a big running back article type thing? And then I'm also like, I didn't watch exactly every running back I wanted to because I couldn't find some film on some guys. Um, so I think I'll, I think I'll just do a couple individual reports coming soon. Although it gets broken up so quickly by free agency, because then you're going over everybody, the Bengals sign, which who knows, they might sign a lot of guys. They might sign nobody. Um, I'm hoping it's, I'm hoping it's a fun free agency, and they've done a really good job in free agency. So, all Bengals, I think there will be a prospect article in the near future, hopefully. Go check it out. I know the running back <laughs> is very hot in the Cincinnati Bengals world, so fans are going to want to check that out. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're following the podcast page, Game Day underscore Sensi. You can follow Bengals underscore Sand. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. Thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.